Uh, before I read the scripture for today, we're going to pray a short prayer for illumination. The way that we learn from the scriptures is through the work of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to ask him for his help to help us learn. Father God, in your rich mercy, give us humble, obedient, and teachable hearts that we may learn from your word, grow in your great love, and walk in your ways. Praise be to the risen Christ. Amen. The scripture this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Good morning. Happy Easter. My name is Matt Blazer. I'm the pastor here. You probably guessed, guessed that because of the, you know, Britney Spears on my ear here. <laughs> Multiple times in my notes it says, talk slow. If I'm not doing that, I give you all permission to use the friends signal. Do you remember the? <laughs> if I'm talking fast but you want to get to brunch, just give me a thumbs up. <laughs> okay? We good? All right. I chose um, Ephesians 2, which is not a traditional Easter text, because every verse is just saturated with the reality for us, if Jesus indeed came back to life and walked out of the empty tomb. This letter, and especially just the first two words of verse 4, the first 10 verses of chapter 2, is the story of who God is and what he does. God created the world as an overflow of love. What did humans do? Started worshiping other gods and stuff. God goes after them and redeems them, calls them back to himself, recreates them. Why? This is so important. Because he is rich in mercy. If you get nothing else out of the sermon, I hope that those words stay with you. Why did God create? Because he's rich in mercy. Why did he allow us free will? Because he's rich in mercy. What did we do with it? Start worshiping other stuff. And then what does he do? He comes back to get us. Why? Because he's rich in mercy. Sometimes it doesn't seem like he's rich in mercy, to us, and that's because verses 1 through 3 that describe 
from a kingdom standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, how absolutely broken the world is. How trashed by our actions are our relationships. How keenly able to harm one another we are. And God intervenes. What do you make of the uh, empty tomb? You know, it's interesting. No one argues that Jesus is actually in the tomb. What do you make of it? And I think most humans, not you people, you came to church on Easter morning. Most people, I think, would say, I don't actually care. But no one argues that the tomb has a body in it. Can you hear that, Simon? It's ringing a little bit. However much better I could be as a preacher... I'll be just a little better without that. Thank you. It's gone. Fixed. Man, sound texts don't get a lot of love. I appreciate ours very, 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 very much. He deserves that. What do you make of the empty tomb? Why is it empty? Dan Brown, using just a little bit of truth and a whole lot of fiction, made millions of dollars off the wrong idea of the empty tomb. What do you make of it? Those of you that are considering the gospel of Jesus, one of the reasons it's challenging to consider is it's not just a a religion, it's a way. It's not only full of practices that are for life, it's also based on history. A man came back to life and saw many humans. And I'm telling you, one of the reasons I picked this text also is because the resurrection narratives, have you noticed how not big and uh, impressive they are compared with the other ones. I mean, if I'm planning the gospel, which would be, is a terrible idea, but if it's me, it'd be like, okay, Jesus, after you rise from the dead, that's when you should feed 5,000 people. After you rise from the dead is when you should not cook for your friends, but calm the oceans and let everybody see you do it. Isn't that the carpenter that died and came back to life? That's amazing. But Jesus knew that the power of the resurrection would be so profound in the lives of his followers that he did not need to do those kinds of works. First of all, because he had already done them. Second of all, because their lives would be so ever-changed. What does he actually do? He goes and restores the grieving hearts of his friends. Which is why I chose instead to talk about this, because it is the kind... (laughs) Because the power that brought him out of that tomb right now, if you're a follower of Christ, is working in you, making you ever more alive. Because God is rich in mercy. This is the only mention in the entire Bible of God describing himself as rich. And you're like, I thought Paul wrote Ephesians. He did, but Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit Theonoustos, that's Greek from Timothy. It's God-breathed. So this is God describing himself through Paul's hand as rich in mercy. I think we long to be rich in mercy, right? It's not the only thing required in relationships, but we long to be rich in mercy when our friends harm us. We long to be able to forgive them and move back towards them. If you're married, we long to be rich in mercy and move back towards our spouse. After they hurt us, we need wisdom and all sorts of other things, but we also long to be rich in mercy. I offer to you that you cannot give something you have not received. 
Parents, you don't want to enable your children, but you also want to be rich in mercy towards them. The first step is receiving the love of God through faith in Jesus Christ, which is rich in mercy. I think we would naturally love in a reciprocal way. I think left to our own devices, verses 1 through 3, what we would do is we would love the others in our life so that we would be loved in return. Not how you're wired, terrific. It's how I'm wired, naturally. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. I follow uh, Samuel L. Jackson on Instagram. I know you all knew that was the next illustration coming. And he has a big yacht. I don't know if this is his yacht or not, um, because I can't remember which yacht it was, and I didn't want to research that. I wanted to research the Bible in preparation for this. But when I hear the word rich, I think of yachts. Or I think of how rich someone else is, right? We are always comparing ourselves to what other people have, even though we don't know what they have. It's just part of the human condition. Very frankly, it can lead to sin, but it's really a reality. We think of rich as a 401k worth whatever your mind just came up with. God's not talking about that. He's not talking about stuff. He's not talking about wealth. He's not talking about the false security from a 401k worth whatever. He's telling us who he is. And this is so essential because if we believe he created because he was bored, if we believe that he loves us so that we'll love him back, if we believe that he saved us because it's what we needed, though that's true, but that's not where he begins. He begins with his character, which is rich in mercy. What does that free us into? Love and good works. Verses 8 through 10, and especially 10. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive because that's who he is. When I was growing up, people would talk about Jesus, and it sounded to me like um, this was about heaven and hell. Like trusting Jesus is about that, and that's true. But most of the New Testament is actually about you being fully alive right now. That doesn't mean your knees or your back are going to stop hurting. It means you're freed into love of God and neighbor, which is human flourishing. And some of you are like, you know why I don't come to church is because Christians don't look alive to me. I'm going to give you one of about seven or eight theories I have on that. Not a joke, but thank you. Uh, Non-jokes can be funny. I think it's our imagination that's the problem. I think we don't know, we, we we, we can't see inside them, we don't know their story, we don't know how bad it could be. And that's part of the reason that some Christians don't look that alive to us. But God, being rich in mercy, makes those who trust Jesus alive. And this is why this is an Easter text. That power that reanimated Jesus is right now making you fully alive to God and to others. And that is really good news, worth celebrating, not just on Easter, but every Sunday, but perhaps especially on Easter.
but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. He not only saves us into eternity with him, he gives us the power, the strength that we need to love him and neighbor. I have a question for you that's going to sound uh, unrelated, but it's related. What did you learn from the pandemic? I know it's not over. It's all right. For some of you, are like, it's over. Others like, son, just leave that question aside for a second. What did you learn? Make no mistake, friends, one of the bitter superfruits, superfoods, shoot, messed up my favorite line in the whole sermon. One of the most bitter superfoods of the gospel of Jesus is that your suffering has purpose. Did you know that? Paul's alluding to it in this passage, not speaking to it as explicitly as he does other places, but he's alluding to it. One of the bitterest superfoods of the good news of Jesus is that your suffering is not without purpose. Your suffering has purpose. Now, if someone tells you exactly what that purpose was, say, get thee behind me, Satan. That's a whole other sermon. But there was specific suffering. Most of you probably endured because of COVID. There's the collective suffering of it. What did you learn? I'm going to give you some examples of what the church learned. We put out snacks for delivery drivers. And we should have always been doing that. You want to know more of that story or why I think it's actually awesome? I'll tell you. We are are hosting a blood drive once a month because the Red Cross lost uh, 80% of their sites during COVID. That's a specific to COVID thing, but one thing that we started doing that we're going to continue doing is treat them to lunch because somebody should take care of those workers. And it's a loving thing to do. And we should have always been doing it. It's one of the things that we learned. Of the uh, four people in my house, I know how to love three of them better through things I learned during COVID. One of them is newer to the world, so that's a whole different matter. (laughs) What did you learn? Because your suffering has purpose. It's one of the sweetest, one of the bitterest superfoods of the gospel. Doesn't taste good, but it's very, very good for us and very lovely that your suffering has purpose. And the reason I give you those examples from the church is most of the good that we do, verse 10, That's what you're created for, love and good works. Most of the good that we do looks insignificant or almost invisible to the world. And yet in the hands of God, those small acts of love work interdependently with the Holy Spirit to do more than we can imagine. Most of our love to the people in our lives will look small or insignificant or even odd to the world. And yet in His hands, does immense good. By grace you have been saved through faith. Paul says it twice because we're so prone to forget, think that it's us that like acquiesced to God because he kind of needed us, you know. (laughs) No. By grace we have been saved through faith. Oh, where'd it go? And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Because he is rich in mercy, 
we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's another reason I wanted to preach this text. For those of you that are followers of Jesus, listen to this quote. This is from the book Gentle and Lowly. For God to de-resurrect you, because you've been made alive in Christ, sorry, for God to de-resurrect you, to bring his rich mercy to an end, Jesus Christ himself would have to be sucked down out of heaven and put back in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. If you are a follower of Christ, you're that secure in him. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the truth if you're a follower of Christ. That's the offer if you're considering the empty tomb and all of its ramifications. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you for rising from the dead, for being rich in mercy, and for making us alive together with Christ because of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Amen.